0: Today's reading is from Luke chapter 24. On the very first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Uh, We're going to skip on to verse 36 over the other side of the page. Uh, In the bit we've missed out, Jesus appears to two disciples and walks with them along the road to Emmaus, uh, and those two disciples get back and find everyone else excited because Jesus has also separately appeared to the Apostle Peter. So we just pick that over the page, uh, verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, "'Peace be with you.' They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost." He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This is God's word.
1: Morning. Happy Easter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather this morning, will you please cut through our apathy? Will you cut through our doubts? Will you cut through the monotony of everyday life and score these wonderful truths on our hearts, we pray. Amen. Good morning, happy Easter. My name's Matt Banks. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the assistant ministers here. And my main responsibility at Christchurch Mayfair is looking after the students, some of whom are here this morning, which is great. And some of our students, what they do is, uh, ever so often, they put on a talk as a Christian union in their universities for their friends who don't know about Jesus. And one of the talks they put on this term had this great title, Eat, sleep, work, repeat. What's the point? Eat, sleep, work, repeat. What's the point? And apparently, uh, it was very well attended. Not, sorry students, not that students even really know much about the grind of real life, but uh, I'm sure, (laughs) don't worry, I tell them that repeatedly. But I'm sure we, we, we can all resonate with that, can't we? Can you? Can't you resonate with that? That, that, that grind of life, that monotony. One day follows another, follows another, follows another, and everything's the same, and, and nothing really happens, nothing really changes, nothing really exciting or out of the ordinary ever happens. I'm sure most of us can relate to that, at least to, to some degree. And of course we can, we can relate to it personally, can't we? But can't we also relate to it on a, on a bigger scale, at the sort of the macro scale, at the, the sort of level of our, of our culture and our society? So I mean, tell me if you disagree, but it seems to me that this is, this is perhaps one of the unlisted casualties of a purely atheistic or secularist worldview that society and media tells us about. One of, one of the unlisted casualties is is that really, well, there's not much point to life. Really, there's, there's no meaning. We scrabble around trying to attach significance to certain events. We scrabble around trying to order the events of the past into some kind of coherent narrative. But really, really, there isn't a point. Really, there isn't meaning. Nothing ever happens. And of course, if if you believe in just a purely atheistic or secularist worldview, by definition, nothing can have meaning, can it? Because all we are is just, uh, is just a sack of, de- random sack of DNA on this rock called, that we've decided to call planet Earth in the sort of backwater of the cosmos in an impersonal Cold universe, just, just existing for a minute fraction of time in the universe's overall existence. And then bang, we're gone. And if that's your worldview, of course, history has no story. History has no beginning. History has no turning points. It's just the blind, cold, iterative march of random mutations and of course we don't we don't like to voice this but i wonder if deep down in the sort of the the psyche of our culture if you like if you can put it that way is this is this deep seated dark lurking suspicion uh, it's just all pointless and of course whether we'd call ourselves christians this morning Whether we'd say, well, that's not really our worldview, functionally, it is very easy to live like that. As if one day follows another, follows another, follows another, and nothing ever really happens or changes. And that is why we are here this morning. That is why we gather on Easter morning to remind ourselves and to declare that things do happen. The most wonderful thing in the world has happened. History does have a point. History does have a final, climactic, wonderful end goal. Change does happen. And we know that. Because 2,000 years ago, a man walked in to a room of his friends and said, peace be with you. We're going to have a look at Luke's account. Open your Bibles up if you've closed them again. We're on page 1062. Page 1062. We're going to focus... The majority, well, in fact, all of our time on the second half of that reading. So from, from verses 36 onwards. So verse 36, Luke chapter 24, page 1062. Look, verse 36. Look, what, This is what Jesus says to his disciples. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, look, I don't, know, I don't know how you hear that. Uh, perhaps just as a kind of a, a colloquial greeting, you know, how we'd say, hi, how are you? Perhaps you hear it like that. Perhaps you hear it as if Jesus died on the cross, conquered the grave, and walked out of the tomb as a bishop. Peace be with you, my children. Bless you. Perhaps you hear it like that. But to hear it like that is to, is to completely miss the point. Or if you hear it as just a colloquial greeting or some kind of vacuous religious language is to completely miss the point. You see, because with those four simple words of greeting, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's teaching us that everything is fulfilled. That's our first point actually. You can follow along on the screen or you can follow along on the back of your service sheets. Everything is fulfilled something revolutionary has happened jesus's death has achieved something radical and here he is back from the dead to announce it now to understand the significance of those four words actually we've got to go back to christmas seems a long time ago now doesn't it uh, perhaps you were perhaps you were at a carol service perhaps you saw a kids nativity play at christmas time do you remember the bit where where the angels stepped in well, the kids in 90s, sheets stepped in. What did what did the angels announce to the shepherds? Do you remember? They said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. You see, right back when, right back when Jesus' birth was announced to the shepherds, his birth is announced as the beginning of peace. And here the risen Jesus steps out of death and he says, peace be with you. See, this isn't, this isn't a casual greeting or, or religious language. Peace be with you is a declaration that what the angels said that God would accomplish through Jesus has been fulfilled. Everything is fulfilled. We then ask the question, well, what kind of peace is Jesus talking about? Actually, have have a look down to verse 44, because verse 44 begins to give us the answer. Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you, verse 44. The peace that Jesus is talking about, the peace that Jesus announces in, is in the first instance and primarily peace between mankind and our creator. It is the peace of repentance and sins forgiven. And that is wonderful news because aren't we all in dire need of making peace with our Creator. See, one day, every single one of us will stand before God, our Creator, and He will judge us on whether we have been men, the men and women of peace that we should have been in this life. And He will judge us not just on our actions, the things that other people could see, He will judge us on our hearts, our inclinations, our desires our thoughts. He will see the gossip that ruined friendship. He will know the jealousy that tore families apart. He will know the words, whether spoken out loud or just in our heads, that we used to stab our colleagues in the backs with. He will know the anger that scarred our spouses. He will know the rage that could have so easily spilled out and over into violence if we'd let it. We will stand before God one day, and he will judge us on whether we have been men and women of peace. And God promises in the whole of Scripture ter- terrifying punishment and banishment from his world to come for any person who, is, who has not been about peace in this life. But you know also, wonderfully, running through the whole of scripture is a greater promise even than punishment. Running through the whole of the Bible through as um, verse 45 puts it, through the law of Moses, through the prophets and the Psalms. Running through all of that is a greater promise that one day God himself would act to bring peace between himself and humanity, a peace that we could never have hoped for if it was just down to us. God had promised through all of the Bible, through all of the Old Testament, that he would one day act to reconcile humanity and himself. Have a listen to one of those prophecies, actually. This is an old, old prophecy, written 700 years before Jesus was even born. Have a listen to this. It's familiar words to many of us. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. That was written 700 years before Jesus. And it is Isaiah looking forward to the day when God would send a savior to make peace between God and humanity. Isaiah was looking forward to the day that Jesus would die on the cross as a substitute for sinful people like you and me to take the punishment for our sins that we deserve. It is Isaiah looking forward to a punishment that brings us peace. A punishment that we might be forgiven and know peace with our Creator. And so how wonderful to hear that same creator step out of the tomb that first Easter morning and say, peace be with you. Peace, my death on your behalf is fulfilled. It has worked. There is now a new era between mankind and God. An era where God himself Holds out the terms of peace and says, any of you who know that you are not the people you should be, walk across no man's land. Wave a white flag. Come and accept peace with me. The angels announced it. The whole of the Old Testament part of the Bible pointed towards it. And here is Jesus emerging to say, peace. Everything is fulfilled. But of course, whether we call ourselves Christians here this morning or not, it's it is hard. It is hard to live as if true earth-shattering, earth-changing events like this can, can really happen. We are so used to the monotony that day by day by day, one day follows another, it's all the same drudge of life. It is hard. To believe that events like this really happened. And it may or may not surprise you that Jesus' early friends and followers, even his closest friends and followers, felt exactly the same thing. They found it hard to believe that this kind of thing happened. Have a look. Have a look, have a look at how they responded to Jesus' announcement. Verse thirty seven. Verse thirty seven, chapter twenty four. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your mind? They're frightened, they they don't believe it, they're troubled, they have doubts. And then what happens next convinces them. So if our first point was that everything is fulfilled, our second point is that everything really happened. Everything really happens. So look how Jesus carries on, verse 38. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet, it is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. The point is, look, I'm real. You can't touch a ghost. You can't prod and push a hallucination. You can't feel the hands and the feet of a figment of your spiritual imagination. I am real, says Jesus. I really have conquered death. And then verse 42. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Broiled, in case you're wondering, means cooked over a light heat. I had to Google that last night. But and I have to say, I don't know about you, but if I just walked out of the tomb, if I just conquered death and ushered in a whole new era of humanity, I'd be pretty gutted with a bit of grilled mackerel. Wouldn't you? I'd want some fat steak and like a nice... A nice jug of cold beer, but anyway, that, that's just me. Jesus makes do. Jesus makes do with broad fish. And the point is, again, ghosts, figments of your imagination, hallucinations, don't eat. Everything really happened. Did it? Some of you are sitting there and I know because I've asked the same questions. Really? Really? Did it happen? Aren't there, aren't there other explanations? Everything just plods on the same in life, Matt. Nothing like this does really happen. Did it really? I mean I've heard I've heard lots of um, supposed explanations. Let me just run through some of them. I think I think this passage gives. I'll explain to you as we go along, concrete evidence that this did. Well, some people, try, some people say, well, no, I don't think it really did happen. I think, and it's on your sheets, actually, you can follow through all these questions. Some people say, well, look, didn't, didn't, didn't they just go to the wrong tomb? Well, apart from the fact that Jesus has just walked in, they can touch him and he's eaten. Some people say, well, didn't they just go to the wrong tomb? Mary, uh, and all the other women, they say, you know, the tomb's empty. They just went to the wrong tomb, surely. Well... Well, no, actually. Just flip back over the page to chapter 23, verse 55. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. I mean, very simple point. They saw where he was buried. They saw where he was buried. They didn't go to the wrong tomb. You may just say, okay, well, they were just, just, uh, you know... um, uh, hysterical with grief, but you know, all, all it would have taken was one kind of Roman bureaucrat with a clipboard and come and say, well, let me just show you where the correct tomb is. Uh, and the whole resurrection story is nipped in the bud there. Of course, of course not. Of course it didn't go to the wrong tomb. Some people say, well, wasn't the resurrection just wishful thinking? Hadn't the disciples kind of psyched themselves up or kidded themselves into thinking, yeah, Jesus is going to rise from the dead? <clears throat> well, that misses... The obvious point in the text that, that they, they weren't expecting Jesus to rise. So you flick back to, or oh, we'll just read on, chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. What do you think they were going to do with those spices? Cook Jesus a welcome back from the dead curry? No, they were they were going there to a, to anoint the body to embalm the body with spices. And look, uh, back in the passage we're focusing on, verse 37, we've already seen, when they saw Jesus, they they thought he was a ghost. The disciples, despite having been with Jesus for three years, were not expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. You might say, oh yeah, but those disciples, they're sneaky. What they did was went back and kind of wrote the story with kind of this feigned surprise to make it look more convincing. Well, look, well, we'll come on to where the disciples made stuff up in a minute. Well, let's move on through our questions. Wasn't this just a spiritual resurrection? Wasn't it kind of, oh, Jesus, Jesus rose in my heart. That that kind of thinking. Well, no, we've all, we've already seen this was concrete, real, tangible, back from the dead, never to die again. And by the way, just in brackets, if any of us worry or wonder whether, whether heaven or the world to come will be boring, just kind of lolling around in '90s on clouds, no, the, the world to come is going to be as real and tangible and good as was that body who walked into that room that first Easter morning. It wasn't just a spiritual resurrection. So some people say, well, wasn't, um, wasn't Jesus sort of resuscitated next question wasn't Jesus resuscitated in the tomb people say well Jesus didn't really die they just thought he died and then they they took him down off the cross laid him down in the nice cool of the tomb and he kind of and he kind of came back to life Well, well well think about what happened this is a Sunday you know just a few days ago Jesus has been lashed repeatedly with wicked and cruel whips He's been hung on a cross. He's had huge nails smashed into his wrists and his ankles. He's had a, he's had a spear thrust into his side to check he was dead. Was Jesus resuscitated? Well, A, it's incredibly like, uh, really? Do you think he didn't die? And B, are you telling me, are you telling me that he sort of lies down in the tomb and then, and then with shattered, smashed wrists gets up and somehow heaves this massive stone away? And then walks out of the tomb on shattered ankles, the seven miles um, on the road to Emmaus in the bit that we missed out. And then with a kind of gaping wound in his side, somehow manages to kind of hobble up before his disciples. And go, I've conquered death. And they believe him and it kind of transforms their preaching. Of course not. Of course he didn't just come to in the tomb. And so finally, perhaps, perhaps the one that, that I guess holds most uh, traction, didn't the disciples just make this up? But I, I have found a lot of the time when I, when I speak to people, um, a lot of people hold this kind of view without, without really thinking through and pushing through all the implications of claiming that the disciples made this up. Because you've got to ask yourself, what would have motivated them to write this? You know, this, the Bible obviously didn't just sort of spring out of thin air. Someone actually sat down and wrote this. And we have multiple accounts of the same thing. People wrote this because they believed it. And if the resurrection didn't happen, you've got to ask, what did they think they were going to gain by, by making it up? What did they think they were going to gain? Now it is true that throughout the, the church history since rightly or wrongly, uh, a lot of people have gained uh, i suppose money and power and fame through the christian message that that has happened rightly or wrongly, but are you telling me that that Three days after Jesus, their leader was brutally killed on a cross. Cowering together in a room, the disciples thought, "Oh yeah, I can, I can really envisage uh, that in 300 years' time, the Emperor Constantine is going to convert the whole of the Roman Empire to Christianity. I can, I can actually foresee this thing and the opulence of the medieval church. I can foresee the fact that uh, even, even 2,000 years later, bishops will have influence in the House of Lords in England." Of course they couldn't, you can't, you couldn't foresee that. You couldn't think, the disciple couldn't think, oh, I really fancy some money and fame and power. I know what will get me that. I'm going to make up a blasphemous story about a guy who came back from the dead. And that is going to get me all the money and power and fame I ever wanted. Of course it doesn't work like that. If, if the resurrection hadn't happened and they made it up, what, what were they going to gain? Actually, the first disciples knew poverty, they knew persecution, and at the very best they knew perhaps a minor footnote in contemporary histories. If the resurrection didn't happen, I I can see no human motivation, no, no thing that motivates human beings that the disciples would have gained by making it up, quite the opposite. And so, look, this is a, this is a bold statement, but let me put it like this. I, I think that if you don't want to accept that this really happened, then, then in the, in the face of historical evidence and in the face of the evidence of, of human nature and what motivates us, I I would say the burden of proof is on you to explain why this is written down why the people took this message and preached it around the world why they turned the world upside down with this message i think i think i want to say the burden of proof is with you to explain it if you think it didn't really happen and if you if you want to look into it more this is a this is a book on our bookshelf a uh, bookstore just around there it's called the case for christ uh, it's an award winning yale uh, law journalist looking into the evidence that points to the truth of the resurrection. I highly commend it to you. So everything is fulfilled. Everything really happens. And then finally, this changes everything. See, this changed everything for those disciples. On the Friday, their hopes were dashed. On the Sunday, on the first Easter Sunday, they realized This day is not like the one that went before it. This is a day like no other day. This is the first day of a new era for mankind. This was the day their lives changed. Have a look at verse 46. Verse 46, Jesus told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And that is exactly what happened. These men and women turned the world upside down with their preaching. That preaching, that the, the teaching of Jesus' resurrection spread through Jerusalem. It spread through Judah. It spread down into Ethiopia. It spread all around the Mediterranean. It reached to Rome, the center of the known world at that time. It spread out into the countries. Eventually it spread to the countries that you came from. It spread to the people who first told the person who told you about the resurrection. And it is still being preached 2,000 years later. There is not a day that has gone by on this planet since that man walked into that room and said, Peace be with you, where his resurrection, when his resurrection has not been preached. It has never been replaced, it has never been usurped, it has survived wars, it has survived revolutions, it has survived genocides, it has survived the progress of science and it is the message that is being preached on every continent on this planet this morning this is real oh it's hard though isn't it even if we're Christians it's hard to live as if it's real We forget it often. Many mornings we will wake up and live as if the defining event of human history hasn't already happened. Many days we will stumble through the hours as if history isn't rushing towards its glorious final state when Jesus returns. But in our mindful moments, in our mindful moments, we do know this is the story, all of us. Have been swept up into. And it is in those moments of clarity, of course, that the resurrection changes everything for us. James is going to speak more on this next week, but have a look at verse 49. Jesus says, I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. There Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, the gift that he is going to send to every believer, the Holy Spirit who empowers us and sends us out as witnesses to Jesus and his resurrection. Life is complicated. All of us have a multitude of responsibilities. All of us have different Gifts and resources and capacities and circumstances. But because we know the resurrection happened, then, then running like a gold thread through the life of every Christian, through every decision we make, through all our plans, through all our hopes, through all our aspirations, through all our giving, through all our church involvement, through all our conversation, will be that desire To take our part in telling the world that things change. In telling the world that it's not that day follows day follows day follows day, but that in history this decisive event has happened. Jesus has stepped out of the grave and said, Peace be with you. All of us, all of us who are Christians, we want to take our place in bearing witness. Everything is fulfilled. Everything really happened. This changes everything. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are, we are weak. Our faith is weak. We live so many of our days plodding through functionally living as if things haven't changed. We praise you this morning for lifting our eyes again, for reminding us that peace with the Father has been won by your death, that death is conquered, that we have a glorious resurrected future with you to look forward to. We praise you for the spread of that wonderful message down through the years around this whole planet. And Father, we pray, that you will so embolden us by your spirit that we would happily and joyfully take our place in this great story. Amen.